Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast, where we talk to great leaders who are influencing the next generation. Welcome to the Collective Scope Podcast. We are with Jeff Henderson, who is a pastor of Gwinnett Church. Um, he's worked with the Atlanta Braves, which I'll forgive him for as a Chicago Cubs fan. Um, worked for Chick-fil-A for some time. And really, my, my question starts there. We all know about the cows, Jeff, and you were a marketing guy. Did you invent the eat more chicken cows, or where'd that come from? It's interesting. So, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. This actually came from the Richards Group, which was the advertising agency that really kind of helped spawn the billboard uh, direction. They want to do outdoor billboards. And then one day, one of the creative guys on the team just faxed over a billboard with a cow on it saying eat more chicken. And it, that's when everybody looked at it and said, wow, that's, that's a great idea. So from that fax, this is back in the days of the fax. This is how old this idea is. And, uh, and now it, it's, uh, it's in the Advertising Hall of Fame. There actually is a thing called the Advertising Hall of Fame. What a, what a great country, right? So, so it's been, that was a fun thing to work on. Awesome. So sure. how, how did you move from, from marketing, because you worked a lot in marketing, to ministry? You know what's interesting? I found there's a lot of similarities between marketing and ministry. I'll say that. Um, but I, I actually went, I had my preacher's kid, so I promised myself I would never work in the church. So I loved, I had, the, I think, the best job at Chick-fil-A. I was over sports marketing. I love sports marketing. I love sports. So, I, you know, I, I just thought I, this is what I'd be doing for the rest of my life. But my boss, David Salyers, invited me to the Willow Creek Global Leadership Summit. And it was there that I just got a, you know, my mind blown in terms of what church could be. And it was at that conference, I felt like God whispered to me, you're going to start a church someday. And I thought, no, 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 that's not me. That's not what I do. But I came home and told my wife, Wendy, and I said, I think we're supposed to help start a church someday. And she said, well, if that's what you think God's calling us to do, I'm in. And that began a three-year process of really getting involved with North Point Community Church and three years later, they asked me to help lead their first multi-site church, Buckhead Church. And so that was 16 and a half years ago. And uh, so since then, we helped launch Buckhead Church and have launched two Gwinnett Church locations. And so it's been kind of a crazy wild ride. Yeah, I mean, that, I love your story and I love uh, how God can just pick you out of anywhere and put you right where you're supposed to be. So, um, you know, you said you grew up as a, as a PK, right? Um, mm -hmm. uh, both Jeff and I have PKs. And so we understand some of the challenges that come, come with that. But I think, you know, part of that dilemma is uh, a lot of times for, for PKs and a lot of times for people in general in culture, the church is known uh, mostly for what it's against and not what it's for. And I think uh, you've done a great job of sort of having that conversation and addressing um, addressing that reality. What is it that we're actually for? So what for you was kind of the turning point or what was the, the story that kind of led to, to that conversation, that decision to talk more about what we're for rather than what we're against? Well, and I understand that the church isn't a business. I understand that. But I think it's helpful to, if we could think of it sometimes in, in, in terms of that perspective, I think there's a lot the business world could learn from the church world and nonprofit world. I think there's a lot the nonprofit and church world could learn from the business world. So when we started Gwinnett Church, I just began asking the two questions that I ask any organization. I think that you should ask, even whether you've you know, been around for a long time, 
but especially in the early days when we asked the question, what do we want to be known for and what are we known for? And we weren't known for anything because we weren't started yet. We didn't even have a name at this point. So we said, okay, let's look at it from a global church perspective. You know, what do, what do you think the church is known for? And in that meeting, it was just like four of us. Uh, someone said, you know, I think the church for many people, it's more familiar with, they're more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. And many people think the church is against them. And if the church is against them, God is against them. And so they stay away because we don't move toward rejection. We move toward acceptance. And we just all looked at each other and thought, wow, well, what are, what are we for? And that's when we said, well, we're for going at kids and for going at businesses and for going at students. And so let's be known for what we're for. And ironically, the, perhaps the most famous Bible verse of them all starts with the word for, for God so loved the world. So that's where it began. And we put a sign outside when we bought the property and we didn't want to put GwinnettChurch.org or GwinnettChurch coming soon. We just put hashtag for Gwinnett because we wanted it to be um, a statement that created some common ground. And we wanted, we want people to know that we have more in common with you than you think. We live here. Our kids go to school here. Uh, we shop here. We do life here. We want this community to be better. And we think thriving communities need thriving local churches and we wanted to be a value add so that statement began to resonate particularly we gave everybody t-shirts that said for going at and i say everybody it was just a few of us at the time but that created conversations in the ballparks and the grocery stores and the restaurants hey for going at what does that mean and so we gave people some some language that they could could carry around with them and so they became vision carriers and when you have the more vision carriers you have the more vision casters you have Right. So in, in an organization then, and every, every organization, I think especially in our culture right now, um, everyone's trying to do individual type branding, either on Instagram, social media, or whatever, right? Um, and then our churches also are sort of kind of craving that, that space where they're unique, right? And so I think even in the church world, um, you know, even in the church world, there's a there's a push for unique branding, unique identity, unique values. So, how would uh, an organization, how would a church, uh, big or small, mega or mini, it doesn't really matter because uh, I think the same principles apply in, in both directions. But um, how does an organization begin to determine what they are for? How do they find those values, those unique identity pieces? It really is a lot of hard work. It's, it doesn't come easy. But I do think getting around this question, hey, what we can't be known for everything, but we do need to be known for something. And, and I think in church world, and I totally understand this, so, so, so don't mishear me on this, uh, I, because I, I love Jesus. I'm for Jesus. I work for Jesus. I love Jesus. But sometimes I think we get a little lazy in our thinking going, hey, we want to be known for being for Jesus. Okay, I, I got that. But I think what the Apostle Paul did in terms of walking around Athens and going, oh, hey, see this statue to the unknown God? I know who that is. He created some common ground. And so in the middle of all that, I think there's this common ground piece. What, what do we ultimately want to be known for? And that's, that takes a lot of brainstorming. That takes a lot of conversations. But ultimately, that's your purpose statement. And so what I ask churches and organizations is, if you could put your, or your, your statement on a tweet, <laughs> What, what is that? Cause it needs to be, it needs to be concise. It needs to be memorable. You know, for us, it was just, we are for Gwinnett. 
And so in the middle of all that, people can carry that statement with them. If you have to walk down the hallway to hear a, to pull out the mission statement that you came up with four years ago at the retreat and it's seven paragraphs long, you, when you walk to the file drawer, you, no one remembers that. So it really, it has to, you have to build some language and some portable language that's memorable, that's concise, and that's portable. And that takes a lot of hard work, but it's worth it. Memorable, concise, I want to write this down, memorable, concise, and portable is what you said, right, Jeff? Right. I'm trying to take notes. Because, again, you've got to think about the person in the grocery store line that turns around, at least, at least in our context, and says, hey, for Gwinnett, um, what does that mean? And they've got to be able to have language. And so we gave them language to go, oh, well, many people are more familiar with what the church is against rather than what the church is for. And we're for you because we believe God's for you. That's enough. That those are just enough words for them to carry that on. And that statement really helped spark conversations and really helped grow our church. But I think that's also true in not just church world, um, but but business world and, and uh, brands and all that, this, this is a really important, important statement because let's just talk about the business world. When it comes to the statement, when it comes to purpose, if there's confusion in the office space, there will be confusion in the, in the marketplace. And there's a lot of confusion in organizational world right now in terms of what are we known for? What are we doing? And if there's confusion on the team, there's going to be confusion with the people that you're trying to reach. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. And I've heard I've heard Andy Stanley, who's been your pastor for many years, say that that we always drift towards uh, complexity in the organization. That there's always this mission drift, and we're we're prone to get off course. With with an initiative like Four, with this sort of vision casting, how do you stay on track with that and, and not drift away from being more for than against? That's my job as the leader. I've got to stay on message and leaders are repeaters. You have to say it over and over and over again. And just when you feel like everybody's got it, you got to say it over and over again. And I think sometimes as leaders, we get bored with the message. So we want to move on. And you, you, you got, it's not enough to, st to start with why you have to stay with why you got to stay on message. And I saw a great example of when I was working at Chick-fil-A. I mean, if you go to Chick-fil-A today for, for lunch and you say, thank you, hopefully you're going to hear not you're welcome. You're going to hear my pleasure. And I was at the Chick-fil-A convention when Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, he didn't invent the chicken. He invented the chicken sandwich, by the way. He got up and said, hey, I was at the Rich Carlton a few days ago. And I said, thank you. And the staff person said, my pleasure. And I thought we should do that in our restaurants. And so he got up we, and said, Hey, everybody stand up. I'm going to say, thank you. We say, you say my pleasure. So he did it. We got it. He gets home from the convention. A few days later, goes to a restaurant, orders a chicken sandwich. She created says, thank you. And the person behind the counter says, you're welcome. And true didn't get mad. He didn't fire anybody. He didn't fire off an email, but he just kept saying it over and over again. And we believe it took about five years for that statement to sink in organizationally. So every time I hear my pleasure, what I think is, am I staying on message as much as true Kathy was? And I'm probably not. So for leaders, if we say it once, we do a sermon series, we kind of move on. We've, we've said it. That's a mistake. You got to say it over and over again because leaders are repeaters. 
Wednesday night, every Wednesday night around here in, in lovely Cleveland, Tennessee, where we host, the Chick Fil A is swamped, packed, swamped, <laughs> and we either—I promise—I think we eat there almost every other Wednesday night. And that the idea of my pleasure has sustained and bled through, where we get chicken nuggets and Chick Fil A sauce. It's my pleasure, um, and leaders are repeaters. I love that, Jeff. I think my question shifts a little bit because as a visionary leader. When you feel there's new vision, how do you stay with what you're doing when you feel God birthing something new? I do think there's, there's, you've got to be open-handed and you've, you've got to be able to say, hey, this isn't, I'm not holding on to a bad idea just because it's my idea or whatever. But I do think there has to be an openness. Now, I think with Four Gwinnett, we have seen it um, when we, we came up with this idea, a lot of our staff said, what is this? Give us some parameters what, the staff, what this idea is. And I said, Here's the thing. I don't know quite what it is, but what we're going to do is we're going to discover this. This is the fun part. We get to discover this and make it up as we go along. So for us, it hasn't been um, something that was kind of set in stone and then we've, we've, we've kind of been tight-fisted. We've explored different ways of how this contextually is expressed. But for us, this, this idea is portable. So we just opened up our second Gwinnett Church location a few months ago. And the four Gwinnett language just fit. But if we go to the next county, uh, which is Hall County, we can't use four Gwinnett in Hall County. So we would have to come up with different language. So if, if, if I were to go, but no, it's four Gwinnett and we're going to stay with it anyway, then that's not being very smart. But I do think if you've got, a, if you've got an idea that is, that is transportable to other venues, then, then, then that's great. Um, for me, I don't think in terms of this message, I don't think that we'll come up one day and go, you know what, we're going to, let's launch something called Against Gwinnett. And so I think there, you know, there are, there are ideas that are sustainable and there are ideas that have a season. And I think you have to understand the difference between those two. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to dig in on that just a little bit more because I, I think that's such a critical piece to the conversation. I think Again, we're talking local church context, and and Jeff and I both served in small churches, hundred less, 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 um, a lot I, less. I've personally been on on staff at a mega church. You know, runs almost thirty thousand on the weekends. So, so, and they're two completely different worlds. And I think, um, kind of digging in a little bit more to to that idea that you just mentioned that piece where we were willing to hold true to a unique identity, a hold true to a unique value that transcends culture and generation, right? Uh, my pleasure, Chick-fil-A is something that transcends any demographic, whether you're in LA where I was and there's Chick-fil-A springing up all over the place in California, or whether you're right here in the deep South, my pleasure translates in both cultures, right? So, right. How does a leader, especially, and I think in a smaller church, it may be slightly more of a struggle only for the fact that you're trying to open the gates so wide to include everyone, right? And not that big churches don't do that. I don't want to get into that messiness. I'm digging a hole here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm digging a quick hole. My point is that spiritual process of identifying those things that are the non-negotiables no matter what the culture, no matter what the space, Jeff and I are both products of the '90s. Tight roll jeans have came back. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's mayhem around here, right? So uh, it's 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 unbelievable. But 
those unique spiritual identities, how do we know which things we should hold on to? How do we know which things we should not hold on to? Well, I think Jesus and the Apostle Paul give us great examples of that. And I love how Paul understood his community and, and contextualized the gospel toward the community. And for example, for us in Gwinnett County in the state of Georgia, of the 10 largest high schools in the state of Georgia, eight are in our county. So, and the three high schools are just immediately around our church. They are huge and they're not even in that, those eight. So for us to look at that and not be passionate about high school ministry and high school students would be a gigantic miss for us. And so for us to look at it and go, all right, what are some, what are some bedrock foundational principles? I think you have to reach your community. And for me, I grew up in small church, so I love small church. My dad was a Southern Baptist pastor, and I think our church, you know, would probably the biggest church he was at was maybe 300 people. So to me, it's not so much about the size of the church as much as who, who is in your community and who are you trying to reach? And is the church reflective of the people in your community? Uh, not just from an age standpoint, but from a diversity standpoint. And this is one thing that we at Gwinnett Church have got to get better at. We're getting there and we've made huge progress, but we, um, we don't reflect the diversity in our community as much as we should. And that bothers us in a really good way. But I say all that to say, I think there's some bedrock principles as it relates to leading a local church. And that is, um, do you know your community? And are you reaching your community? And are you adding value to your community? Because my hope is, large or small, if a church decides to close its doors, and I told this from our, to our team from the very beginning, if we decided to close Gwinnett Church, my hope is that the mayors of our towns and the school principals and the parents and the students would rise up and say, no, you can't close down because if you close down, our community suffers. We're not even sure we believe what you believe, but you are such a value add. And the reason I say that is because of the bedrock principle that Jesus said that you are like the light of the world. And whatever the size church you are, I think you have to be a light in your community. And that to me is a foundational bedrock principle that how are we being a light to people who live in a dark world? That's great. Um, I phrased the question in the notes that it was really to a younger generation, but I think in, in since we've all generations been marketed to for a long time, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier the Advertising Hall of Fame, we've been marketed to for a long time. How does something like four in sort of that message not just feel like another marketing ploy to put butts in seats? Right. You ha it, it can't be a marketing slogan. It has to be born out of, do you genuinely care for people? And are we genuinely interested? And are we actually showing that we actually are for, or are we just kind of a Sunday service and then we'll see you next Sunday? What's happening between Sunday and Sunday? And are there things that we can point to that says, hey, these nonprofits in our community, they're better because we're here. Not only for us showing up to serve, but that we've given them hundreds of thousands of dollars. Hey, did these high schools know that we're better because we're here? And, and that's, that's done from finances. It's done from volunteer service. It's really done through social media. And I tell churches this, I tell large brands that I, I consult with, 
I'll tell them to go look at their last Instagram page, their last 10 Instagram posts. And that will show me who they're most interested in. And this happens in, in, I was with a large retailer just a few months ago and we looked at their last 10 Instagram posts and it was all about them. It was all about the store, the new products, all this kind of stuff. And I said, you know, if a business was a person, many businesses would be considered narcissists because the focus is on them. The spotlight is on them. But if you look at social media and church world, that's pretty much the case as well. The last, usually of the last 10 posts, nine out of 10, if not 10 out of 10 are, Hey, new sermon series starting Sunday. Hey, look what's happening in our student ministry. It's all within the four walls of the church. And you still need to do that. All I'm saying is if we're going to be, to your point, Jeff, if we're going to really be authentic about this message, then we need to shift the spotlight from the church and, and put it onto the community. So for us, our social media strategy is one that it's kind of hard to see. But because we're shifting a lot of our strategy toward going onto the platforms of the people in the community and commenting on them and interacting with them there. And our Twitter strategy, for example, is to highlight local high school sports and just to be just to be supporting them as much as we can. And what's been so fun for me is I've had local public high schools retweet Gwinnett Church because of what we've said about them. And I grew up in the day of separation of church and state, and there can be no prayer in public school and public schools and the churches should remain separate. And yet but these public high schools are retweeting our, it says Gwinnett Church. No one's losing their minds. No one's protesting to the governor. No one's pitching a fit because we're not talking about ourselves. We're talking about the schools and saying, we're here to cheer you on. So I think there has to be some substantial strategies from service, from finances, we, I mean, we give lots of money away um, and from a generosity standpoint, but then just, just being able to talk more about the community than we do ourselves. And we highlight businesses in the community. And, and it's not people that go to our church, ironically. It's people that don't go to our church because we want to show, show, show them that we're actually for you. And if you'll run a great business, that helps our community. So you have to be able to point to things to go, this isn't just a slogan we're actually living this out. Yeah. That's good. I, uh, I have a little saying that I'd, I've probably said 10,000 times and I'll probably say it 10,000 more. If you're trying to be relevant, you're already one step behind. Right. right. <laughs> so I think, um, with, with young leaders and they're facing all kinds of challenges, right. Um, change, uh, how, how do the, how do we actually stay, and I'm not going to use the term relevant, but how do we actually stay in the in the forefront or on the cutting edge or on on the next uh, sort of horizon of what God is doing through the local church? I think it goes back to a lot of what Andy said in terms of what breaks your heart and you know what what is currently breaking your heart and what breaks someone's heart may be different than what breaks my heart, but what breaks my heart in Gwinnett County um, is that there are many people that will go to bed tonight and will not know the love and the grace of Jesus. That breaks my heart. And, and I want to do everything that I can to, to reach out to them. Another thing that breaks my heart is that there are many business, business people who have no connection to the local church. And I feel like that's a gigantic opportunity for the local church. So I think what breaks your heart 
um, drives you to understand people and to understand the people on the other side of that, that thing that's breaking your heart. And that will drive you to stay, um, not, you know, if we don't want to use the word relevant, I think it allows you to stay your heart to stay soft toward those that you're trying to reach and those that you're trying to serve. I honestly think one of the problems in church world is that we had a lot of churches full of Christians that don't know anyone else who isn't already a Christian. And I think that's a problem. Um, you know, Luke 19, 10 says, tells us what Jesus came to do, uh, to seek and save the lost. And so, um, so I don't think it's necessarily what you wear or lights or all that or music. Um, in fact, I tell our team, I think what happens in the hallways on Sunday is just as important, if not more important than what happens on the stage uh, or the platform. And that probably wasn't the case in the nineties. I think in the nineties, it was, you know, what happens on the platform or the stage or whatever. Uh, that's really what's driving the church. I think what the, the community and the sense of care and authenticity and being genuine, loving people. Now what happens on the platform is very, 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 very important. But I think what's just as important is what happens in the hallways and the parking lots. Yeah. Agreed. In a, in a generation, the younger generations especially seem very cause driven, Jeff. Um, have you found that, that sort of this, this concept or what you guys are doing with four Gwinnett or the four initiative, has struck a chord with younger people because it's very causational? I've been surprised because I'm, I'm 54 and I've been surprised that I feel like millennials and the younger generation are actually drawn more to Ford than the pe than people my age. And the, the questions I get, particularly in the business world uh, from people my age is, yeah, but how does this actually affect the bottom line? Whereas the younger it gets, millennials and younger, they, they all go, wow, this is going to, this is purpose, but purpose is actually going to help the bottom line. And I think, and I've, I've been warning, I, in fact, I was talking to a multi-billion dollar brand uh, last night and I said, you, you've got to be careful because you've got a lot of people my age around the table and the questions you're asking about four, I totally understand. But the younger you get, here's what they're thinking. They understand that profit, purpose fuels profit and profit fuels purpose. You're going, and I think this is amazing, especially in the business world. We are headed toward a place where if you have more purpose, you'll have more profit because millennials and younger, uh, the younger generation, at least from the research we're seeing, they're not going to do business with people they don't believe in. That's, that can be dangerous and that can be very encouraging. And so I think there's more skepticism because I think maybe folks my age think, can, can doing good really be good for business? You know, and I, I really think it is. So I think there's some, there, there's just, it's, it's not as much cause as it is as much purpose. And I think what millennials are saying from the ones that are being drawn to this message is, oh, this, I, I can find this, there's a purpose in my work and I'm not going to settle for a job that pays me well, but doesn't offer much purpose. I think that, and so there's a lot of uh, angst in, in with people my age about, you know, millennials, they come and they go, they come and they go, they come and they go, and there's no, there's no loyalty. And I'm thinking it's not, it's, it's not their loyalty. You haven't given them something to be loyal to. And it's not a paycheck anymore. It's really purpose. 
So I'm excited the fact that the younger generation is actually drawn more to this than, than folks my age. Yeah, that really echoes. We had a conversation recently with a guy named Chris Tuff, who's a guy there in Atlanta, wrote a book called The Millennial Whisperer. Um, a lot of the same things he's talking about is this idea of purpose and loyalty attached to purpose. So, so Jeff, what you're saying with that is, is resonating in other spaces. Um, like it was a great conversation with Chris who, who works with, I think 200 millennials, I think was yeah, something, something like, like that. that. And he, they're finding these same things to be true that, that it's not, the causes are great, but really when you give them a sense of purpose and what they're doing, um, they'll stay with you, um, above the paycheck or for less paycheck even. And ironically, this is what we have in the nonprofit church world. I mean, we have purpose or we should have purpose. And so and I think that's what the business world is needing is this purpose. So for me, it's like, it's ironic because I feel like this is one of those times, rare times maybe that the business world can learn from us in the sense that we, that's all we have to sell in a sense, if you will, is come join the purpose, come join the movement, come join what we're doing. And if a business can think like that, then it's, and you've got a good product, it's extraordinarily powerful. And I think in the nonprofit church world, we've got to get better about articulating our purpose. I mean, how do we how do we shift from that? Now, I'll admit my age here too, since you did. I'm 42, um, and I grew up in a era where we were we would beat the drum on what we were against. We would march, we would picket, we would whatever it was, and there was always something a hot button issue in the church that we were against. Um, how do we shift? our thinking, our heart, or whatever it is to move off. And I feel like it's political driven now in the culture we're in, very divisive. It's that everybody's got a, got something. How do we shift our heart to being less, against, not less against, but but to, to be more for than less against the things? I guess I do want to say less against. I don't know. I think it goes back to having someone that you are personally for that isn't already following Jesus. And it, if it's easy to preach against something, if you don't know someone who's struggling with that and, and sure, sure there's, there's things that we're against in Gwinnett, you know, there are things that we're, that, that we are against and, and we're, we want to push against that. I think the way that you push against darkness though, and many times is to bring the light into, into the world. When we started going at church, we did a survey of people 18 to 35 years old. And one of the questions we asked was, would you want to hang out with a church staff person or pastor? And 89% of 18 to 35 year olds said they wouldn't want to hang out with us. Now, here's the, the alarming thing about that. It's hard to reach people that don't like you. <laughs> it's hard to reach people that don't want to hang out with you. And so I think there needs to be a genuine love for people, but not just people in general, people with a name and people with, um, with the, you know, their story. And so for me, there are certain people <clears throat> in Gwinnett church that, you know, I have an advantage. I've lived here most of my life that I know that could go to our church that don't go to our church and I'm doing life with, but they're still skeptical of the big C church. And I think it has to start with you personally. And it has to be more too than just growing your church or about ministry. It has to be about you personally. What, what personally in your heart are you for and who are you for? Um, but I think we have evidence that shouting um, about what we're against isn't the greatest strategy. 
again, I think the church, I hate to put it in this terminology, but the church has a brand problem. And we can again say it's not a business and a brand, and I totally get all that. But we can use words like image or reputation, but that really is what a brand is. We have a brand and image problem. And ironically, we have the greatest message the world has ever and will ever hear. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh my goodness, there's nobody that has that message. And yet somehow we've turned it upside down and people are more familiar with what the church is against. That, that drives me crazy and it should drive all of us crazy. And so I want to be for people. And, um, and I will say this, I think the way that you get around to this is not, there are two questions that the book talks about. What do you want to be known for? And what are you known for? That's not just a great question for the church or business organization. It's a fantastic question for all of us. What do you want to be known for? And that takes some really deep introspective thinking. And then you get to live your life for that. And that's, I think, the exciting thing about these two questions. But I think it's got to be personal. It just can't. And that's what I tell our team. Please don't let this become a job. Please don't let this become a career. Uh, Keep this a calling and keep your heart fresh. Yeah, I think, um, you know, part of my role in California when I was there as a pastor um, was to help relaunch plateaued uh, campuses with the church I was with. And so one of the first things that I would do is come in and, and have a conversation about brand promise and value proposition with a leadership team. And I think for many of us as, as believers, and it's not that they're not business people in the congregation, they're there, right? It's not they're not intelligent, they're there. But I think when we start wrapping gospel-centric messages in skin that is, uh, um, gosh, I don't want to use secular, but maybe that's the only right word, secular terminology, business terminology, culture terminology, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we start wrapping gospel-centric themes, practices, principles, in this idea of, of brand promises and value propositions, it, it can make people a little bit squirrely. And you know, so I think part of our work, you know, especially being on a college campus, is being able to empower students to embrace all of God's truth, because all truth is God's truth. And I think an awareness of our culture, an awareness of, of where we're going in the local church, is critical to this conversation that you're having, is that we have a brand problem Right. And brand is not logo. Right. Brand is not, you know, look or feel. Brand is value. Brand is is that DNA that you're talking about. And so I think uh, one of the hard work things that that we have to do is teach people how to actually do that internal investigative intentional work mm-hmm. of building those value propositions and those brand promises. So. All that to say this or ask this question, in your journey from marketing into pastoral ministry, what things overlapped for you where you said, hey, this makes sense to me both from a pragmatic perspective and from a gospel perspective? Because I think we're, we're, we, we build a wall where there doesn't need to be one. Well, let me tell you one of the things I think that's true in both worlds and that is the work culture and growing up in church and 
traveling. I've spoken in a lot of different churches like you guys have. Um, here's a truth that's not talked about a lot about the church world, but it's, it's a truth that when I mention this, everybody goes, that is correct. It's unfortunately true. And that truth is, is that the church has, is a terrible, often is a terrible place to work. The work culture in many churches are, is incredibly dysfunctional. And the reason that's important, both in church and business world is this, and we'll put it in business language. The customer is eventually treated like the team is treated. So if you have a dysfunctional church work culture, you will have a dysfunctional church just given enough time. And so I saw that overlap in both worlds. And um, one of my first memories growing up in church world is overhearing a conversation with my mom and dad. And they were having coffee one night after Sunday night church. And my dad said, well, you know, deacon so-and-so doesn't like this. And deacon so-and-so doesn't like this. And brother so-and-so is mad about this. And deacon so-and-so is, you know, talking to me about this. And my first thought was, why do these people hate my dad? That was my first thought of church world. And that little seed stayed there and it grew. And that, it grew into, I will never work at a church. And so I think one of the most important things that we can do now, you, you might, there might be somebody, a, 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 a parachurch person who's planning a church and working and said, Jeff, I am the staff. Totally understand that. It could just be your core volunteers, whoever's helping you. We've got to have a better staff culture at, at our churches. And I hear a lot of, uh, a lot of criticism about not trying to be like a business and organize. I, to I totally understand that. But when I left the corporate world and went to church world, guess what I found? People. And people had the same issues on both sides. They're struggling with some of the same things, whether it's for-profit or non-profit. And so one of the best things that we can do as leaders is we got to create a great work culture. What is in the church world that is not in the business world per se is the fact that when, you're, when you step across that line and go into church world, you are pushing against darkness and darkness will push back. And there is a, there is a spiritual weight that I have, that you guys have, that pastors have, that I did not have as a marketing executive. For example, a few months ago, I did a funeral for a six-year-old girl who died of leukemia. Um, and I walked with their family through horrific experiences um, during this battle. I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to stand over a graveside and try to give parents hope after watching their six-year-old struggle and eventually have their prayers unanswered and their daughter dies. That's a weight that I didn't have to carry in the business world. And it is a heavy, heavy weight. And, and I, maybe it's just because I'm older now, it takes me a few days to recover from walking with families like that uh, because of the grief and you got to lead and all that. And so I think if we're not careful as pastors, we can negate how heavy that is because nobody calls us. Nobody will call me today and go, Hey, Jeff, just want to let you know my marriage is doing awesome. My kids are amazing. I've got no issues. That's not the, that's not what happens. And we, we sign up for that and we understand that. But to your question, there is a weight that, that we all carry in this role that I didn't carry in the, in the business world. So what do you say to the leader who is carrying that weight, um, young or old, 
they they signed up for ministry and because God called them to preach and all of those things um, and, and it becomes more than that you address the staff culture issue um, because the calling sometimes is to minister to people we're not always equipped to lead as well as we need to so where would somebody start in becoming a better leader in, in sort of creating a culture for, in their work environment whether it be be a church work a nonprofit, or even just volunteers at the church it's impossible to have a healthy work culture with an unhealthy leader and i think you you know in the book, I talk about four groups of people to be for, and ironically, the last one is to be for you. And what, what I mean by that is if you're not remaining inspired, if you're not healthy, then you're not going to be able to serve your church, your team, and your larger community. It's just not going to happen. And so we got to get more healthy. We got to fight for health um, as pastors and leaders. And there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of depression. Uh, there is an alarming increase of suicides among pastors and that breaks all of our hearts. And so I think it's incumbent upon church boards, elder boards, deacon boards to stop being stingy about personal health and personal development. And let's fund that and let's fund, um, a great work environment, but ultimately it's got to start with me. And one of the best gifts I can give my wife, Wendy, and one of the best gifts I can give my kids is for me to bring the best me. And that I've got to make sure that my pace is sustainable. I got to make sure that I am surrounding myself with people that I ultimately want someday to become like. And I've got to have people who are speaking into my life who they're not fans and they're not foes, but they're genuine, authentic friends. And that's really, I think, the biggest, most alarming thing among pastors is that if they're honest with us, they would tell us that they don't have a lot of friends. And I think that's a key missing element. And um, so, and, and I would tell this to, to, I don't know if we've got any elders or deacons listening, but, but I would say, ladies and gentlemen, you're part of your calling here isn't to critique the pastor all the time and to tell them what they're doing wrong. Part of your role here is to be a wind in their sails. And uh, so I feel like, but ultimately it's my responsibility to remain healthy. And because uh, again, you're pushing against darkness, but darkness will push back. So what are the systems? Who are the people? And how are you remaining inspired on a consistent basis? It's not enough. I believe in conferences. It's not enough to go to a two-day conference and then just kind of coast for 363 days. That, that has a hard, hard impact on those two days over time. Thanks for addressing the friends issue. Rob and I have been friends about 20 years. Good times, bad times. We've seen a lot of it. I remember one of the most discouraging things I heard a pastor I worked for. I was a young man, and we were talking about this issue of friendship, and, and he said to me, the higher you go in leader, leadership, the lonelier it gets. And I yeah. just remember being so incredibly yeah. discouraged by that. Because I, I remember asking him, I said, do you have any friends? And he goes, not here. Mm. And, and, and so I, that resonates with me because I was so discouraged. And, and I was like, like, how can I not have friends if I'm in leadership and I'm supposed to be ministering to people? But 
there was almost this separation of leadership in the church that if I'm the leader, I can't be friends with those people. And I think there's sometimes some spaces not everybody should be invited into. Um, but but let me say it on the podcast. Thank you for your friendship, Rob. I mean, well. it's, it's been incredibly helpful in, in good seasons and bad seasons. Um, so I think that's a valuable piece to, that we have to remain healthy if we're going to be leaders. We have to be for ourselves. But I think it goes back to the conversation, Jeff, that you were having about what's happening in the hallways is so critical because it's not just what's happening among the people. It's also what's happening with you in the hallways, right? And I think um, I think we're seeing that on a college campus, yeah. working with students on a regular basis. I mean, they are driving for that connectivity, that relationality, that community, that authenticity of friendship. Mm-hmm. And I think um, I think it's presenting some unique challenges for us in the pastoral ministry arena. We're seeing it in trends of students who are enrolling in pastoral ministry. As, a, as an academic pursuit um, because they understand also the business side of it. And so we have probably as many people who are called to be pastors in our business program as we do oh, yes. in our p- pastoral ministry program, right? It, yeah, called pastors, called worship leaders, yes. whatever it is, doing degrees non-specific to those non-specific, ministries. Because I think they're recognizing these these issues that we're talking about. So. Uh, Jeff, I think we're, we're getting close to time, unfortunately, because I could probably talk to you for about two more hours, and maybe I will off off, <laughs> off the, the show. Uh, so I, I hope that's an invitation that that we can we can we stay. get some friends in Atlanta. We yeah. can come down there. Hey, Gwen, it's not that far away. We got a Chick Fil A. There you go. There you go. I want to go to the Dwarf House. Is it true that Dwarf House is buffet style? Well, yeah. It depends on which one you go to. Um, yeah, but the original one is not. Okay. Well, that's the information I need that's from important. Insider. That's important. Yeah. Okay, so here, here's the last question uh, that we're going to ask. And uh, we ask all of our guests the same question, and that's this. Uh, what is the greatest lesson you learned in college that did not take place in a classroom? Uh, can I have two answers to that? Yes, af- yeah. of course. The first one was I, would not, I was not going to play in the NBA. That was a really alarming thing. I uh, I played basketball at the college basketball powerhouse that y'all have all heard of, Truett McConnell Junior College at the time in Cleveland, Georgia. And so I, I thought I was going to play in the NBA. So I, I realized I uh, I was not going to play in the NBA. That was that was very very alarming for me. And then, but I would say the the lesson that I learned was uh, a mentor of mine. This wasn't in a classroom. It was. Um, it was part of um, a job that I was working with and he just told me there's not a limit to what a person can do when he or she doesn't care who gets the credit. And I think that that may have been credited to president Truman. I can't, or um, somebody else, but, but that statement stuck with me that, and another mentor of mine says that God resists the proud and so do we. And humility Humility is this funny thing that it, once I say, once we say, you know what? One of the best things about me is I'm a humble person. We, we've shown that we're not, right? So I think I've, I've learned over time that what I, what I am is I'm an arrogant person or a prideful person that needs to practice humility on a daily basis. 
And if I practice humility on a daily basis, that's going to lead me somewhere really well. But thinking of myself that I'm a humble person is just so ironic. So that, that statement really stuck with me that am I doing this for me or am I doing this for a larger purpose outside of me? And that just is a, is a I think, a daily, daily question. And that, that helps me fight off um, comparison with what other people are doing, helps me fight off um, the natural pride that can come when you experience some success or whatever, and, um, and to, to focus on the larger purpose that, um, gosh, if I can help other people and if I can serve other people and if they grow and nobody knows that it was me behind there, that's a great, that's a great thing for me to experience personally. So not a lot, not a limit to what a person can do when they don't care who gets the credit. That's amazing. That's good. Hey, the, the book, book is, is, go ahead. Oh, no, no, okay. The book is know what you're for a growth strategy for work and even better strategy for life. Um, where can they find this book? It's not just for ministers. It's not just for the marketplace. It's kind of for everybody. Where can we pick it up at? That's a great point. I actually wrote this for business leaders and actually wrote it for church leaders as well to take into businesses and the schools so that there wouldn't be any, you know, Oh, this is a church book, but, but as a way for churches to really show that they are for their community, but they can get it at, um, online at Barnes and Noble, Amazon books, a million, um, that, that, that would be great. And, um, I would, I would encourage them to, to share it with their business leaders. And the cool thing is, is over the years, we've had, we've seen a lot of other churches start to do the four campaign. And I had a lot of churches say, but we don't really, we've got, we've got the t-shirts, but we don't really know what this is. And so the book's kind of an answer to go here. Here's what this is all about. Yeah. It's a great read. Hey, thanks for having me on the podcast. Your, your studio looks a whole lot better than my daughter's room here. So um, y'all win for today. We're trying. Well, we appreciate you so much and the time that you've given us. And uh, like I said, I do hope that we can stay in contact and uh, maybe get you back on the show sometime because I think we just only scratch the surface a lot of these conversations that we want to have in our context. But uh, are you on social media? How can we stay in touch with you on social media? Yeah, Twitter's just Jeff Henderson. And then Instagram is Jeffrey Henderson. My mom named me after Thomas Jefferson. So it's J E F F E R Y. Jeffrey Anderson and uh, yeah, would love to. I'm on LinkedIn as well, so would love to do that. And you guys invite me up there. I would love to come up and we can hang out in person. Yeah, oh, that'd be yeah. great. Yeah, I'm a Jeff J E F F R E Y. Apparently, my mom won that argument to get that, so <laughs> that's how it worked out for you. Well, that's what my driver's license says because everybody misspells it. But anyway, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> we loved having you on the show, and as we'd like to say here at the Collectors Co Podcast, you always have a seat at the table. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Collectors Code Podcast. Would you do us a favor and subscribe, rate, and review, and share this on social media so this content can reach other great leaders? Yeah.